Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's Pastor Adam back again here on your daily Bible and Brew. It's been a couple of weeks since I've done a Bible and Brew, but uh, we're back in the saddle and glad you're here with us. And uh, we're going to go ahead and get started this morning. Uh, it's been been a pretty good uh, weekend, I believe, and I hope you have a great start to your Monday. And uh, as we get into the Word of God this morning, uh, just want to say how much we appreciate everybody following along and those who are listening. So uh, we are going to jump in to the Word of God this morning. So um, the Bible uh, reading plan that we are part of today has taken us into uh, all through the book of First Chronicles, and now we are in the book of Second Chronicles, and here on July 20th, of 2020. We are on day 202 of our daily Bible reading plan. Uh, and so this is going to bring us into 2 Chronicles chapter 4, uh, 4 through 6. And um, I really want to just kind of skim this, uh, this section of the, the Word of God um, because uh, because of how um, important Romans chapter 7 is, which is also part of our plan today. So um, make sure that you uh, like and subscribe wherever you're watching this. Uh, make sure you give us a thumbs up. Make sure you give us a share. If this is something that's helpful to you, uh, let us know and uh, we would appreciate all of your feedback. Um, if you have questions or comments along the way, I am watching the Facebook feed. I'm also going to be switching back and forth to our online watching platform as well. And uh, that's at vbph.online.church. Make sure you got your Bible here close by. I got mine right here. And uh, let's see what the Word of God has for us today. Second Chronicles chapter 4, which says these words. Moreover, he made a bronze altar. Twenty cubits was its length, twenty cubits its width, and 20, uh, ten cubits its height. He made the sea of cast bronze, ten cubit, from one brim to the other. It was completely round, its height was five cubits, and a line of thirty cubits measured its circumference. Under it was the likeness of oxen encircling all around it, ten to a cubit all the way around the sea. The oxen were cast in two rows when it was cast. So we're going through here a list of the different furnishings that were inside of the temple. And, uh, and so we've, we've talked about this all the way back in Exodus. Um, so it's, it's not really uh, helpful for us to go back and uh, rehash all of this. But um, just, to, just to be reminded that these furnishings that were made uh, all had their own purpose. And, uh, and one, of the, one of the lessons that we learned about the temple, well, the tabernacle back in Exodus, and now the temple of Solomon, which is being described here, is that each part of the temple has its place. This is something that is unique to God's design for the world, is that everything has a place and a position in life. And God is a God of order. And it pleases God to create things in order. In a family, there is an order, there is a structure, right? There is a father, there is a mother. Within the two, uh, within that relationship of father and mother, there is unity, there is a communion, there is intimacy. And from that intimacy comes 
the rest of the family. And there are children that come out of that relationship. And so, uh, and so it is with the example that we have of the Trinity, right? So we have, uh, we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, so you have Father who is in control. Uh, he is divinely controlling the affairs of the universe. He has his Son. And between the Father and Son, similarly, there is deep intimacy. There is uh, union. There is communion together. And then the Holy Spirit, who uh, the Bible kind of describes as the active person on the earth, right? So it's kind of a, a similar uh, model. All I'm saying is that when God creates things, he creates them in order. He creates them in their place. And just like each furnishing has a place in the temple, so does each member have its own place in the body. And uh, this is very important for you to understand, no matter who you are in, in the word of God, in the, in the kingdom of God, you have a place. You have a place to serve. And for you to fail that and not to, not to fulfill your place, um, it hurts the entire body. So uh, just be reminded, whichever furnishing you are, uh, whether it's the bowl or the altar or the tables or the court, uh, or the priests that are working in the temple, um, every one of us has a part to play. We read about how uh, in chapter 5, the ark is brought into the temple. This is a historical record of Solomon bringing the ark back into the temple. Let's read about that in Second Chronicles 5. It says, So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. Solomon brought in the things which his father David had dedicated the silver and the gold, all the furnishings, and he put them in the treasuries of the house of God. Now Solomon assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, chief fathers of the children of Israel, in Jerusalem that they might bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. Therefore all the men of Israel assembled with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. They brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them, and King Solomon, all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him, with him before the ark, were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. So again, this is a repeated story, right? We've read this before already in First uh, and Second Kings, and uh, this account has already taken place, but Chronicles exists to be not just a narrative of the historical truth, but, but as a history book. So it's written uh, to remind us, it's written in order, it's written, um, uh, it's written as a contextual history book. So, um, but what, one thing to remember here is that the, the temple of God was not cheap. It was not something. Um, it was not something that did not have a cost, and the way that Solomon dedicated the temple was by making a sacrifice so great that nobody could even number the uh, sheep and oxen that were slaughtered in the preparation to open this temple. That's uh, that's pretty crazy to think about. There was a high price to pay. Um, and the Bible says that when 
the priests, let's see, verse, uh, yeah, this would be verse, mm -hmm, uh, verse 14, oh yeah, verse 13, it came to pass when trumpet, trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praise the Lord, saying, For he is good, his mercy endures forever. But the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. What is it that brings the power of God so powerfully? What is it that invites God's presence into his house so powerfully that the priest could not continue. The cloud, uh, which represents the presence, the powerful, overwhelming presence of God, which was evident that day as they brought all of these furnishings into the temple. It was the sacrifices, right? It was the price that was paid, but also we see it was the unity of God's people. <clears throat> it was the unity of the singers and uh, the musicians. It was a... It, there is a special presence of God reserved for those who are unified together in faith with common purpose for the kingdom of God. This is something you need to remember, right, for your life. You want to experience God's presence in the same way that Solomon did on that day? <clears throat> you have to remember that that only comes with by paying a great price. I'm not just talking about <clears throat> paying your tithes and offerings. Of course, that is... A part of it, but we're talking about righteousness, right? The the, the priests uh, had slaughtered so many oxen and sheep, and and as they were approaching the the throne of God, they were sacrificing. But this was this was a sacrifice intended to bring cleansing, purification, holiness, right? So Jesus said, "Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see." God. The reason why they saw God's presence and felt him so heavily that day was because they were so purified by the heavy, heavy price of sacrifice. And so it is also that if we want to experience God's presence, if you want to feel God's presence today, you're going to have to plead the blood of Jesus, a heavy, high price to be paid for the sanctification of our souls. But if we will, if we will, not only that, but also to be unified in the faith together. Uh, when we are unified, it, it brings glory to God. Let's think of the book of Acts. Uh, there's probably no greater record uh, in the Bible of people unified together for common purpose. And that is, uh, that, that is what invites the presence of God into our lives, into our midst, into our churches, is a spirit of unity. Have you ever been to conference? You know what that feels like, right? It feels powerful because, uh, because it is a group of people unified together doing something for something bigger than ourselves for the kingdom of God. And that's why uh, the Lord came and dwelt as a cloud and they could not even continue because his presence was so powerful. All right, so then chapter six, we have uh, Solomon turning around to Bless the assembly of Israel. 
And this is what he said, verse 4, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, who has fulfilled with his hands what he spoke with his mouth to my father David, saying, Since that day I brought my people out of the land of Egypt. I have chosen no city from any tribe in Israel in which to build a house that my name might be there. Nor did I choose any man to be a ruler over my people Israel. Yet I have chosen Jerusalem that my name may be there. And I have chosen David to be over my people Israel. Now it was in the heart of my father, David, to build a temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel. But the Lord said to my father, David, whereas it is in your heart to build a temple for my name, you did well in that it was in your heart. Nevertheless, you shall not build the temple, but your son who will come from your body, he shall build the temple for my name. So the Lord fulfilled his word and he spoke and I have filled the position of my father David and sit on the throne of Israel as the Lord promised and I have built the temple for the name of the Lord God of Israel and there I have put the ark in which the covenant of the Lord which he made with the children of Israel so again we've talked about all of this already uh, the first time that it occurred in scripture but just as a reminder um, it is important for us to build a work that is going to last beyond our lifetimes. It is important for us, as David did, to have a vision for future generations. As we are working for the Lord, as we are laboring for the kingdom, as we are you know, doing the work of God, every one of you should have an eye on the next generation. Um, David wanted to build the temple. He wanted to get it done for God. Uh, he had built the king's palace and looked out at God's tabernacle and thought, it's not right for the king to dwell in such a nice palace while the king of glory is <laughs> resting in a tent made out of man's hands. He says, I want to build a temple. Uh, but this was a project that was too big to fit within David's lifetime. Let me ask you, what project do you have in your life that is so big that it cannot fit within your lifetime. That is a powerful reminder this morning. That is a powerful truth that we all must be willing to embrace certain goals and tasks that we cannot finish in this life. We've got to leave something to the next generation. We've got to leave something to our spiritual sons and daughters, those in our church who are being saved as a result of our ministry. Um, pastor, if you're a pastor in this, in, and you're watching this, um, are you comfortable with the idea of leaving behind a ministry that your disciples can fulfill in your shoes? And uh, if not, then why not? Um, it's a very short-sighted thing to create a ministry and create a church that is dependent on one man. It's very short-sighted. It's dependent on one personality. And if that one personality is gone, then the whole thing crumbles. Um, we ought to be building for the future. We ought to be building for future generations. Pastor Wayman Mitchell, of course, has led our fellowship for 50 years. But he created something that was bigger than himself. Uh, he followed the speaking and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. And as he did that, he created something so big that he could not contain it within his own lifetime. And he, thankfully, has a son and a disciple 
that is able to carry it on uh, into the future. So what about you? What project do you have in your life that you are going to leave to spiritual ancestors, uh, those going forward? All right, so let's talk about uh, our New Testament reading today as we get into Romans. Our Bible reading plan has taken us uh, into all the way through the book of Acts, the history of the early church. And now we launch into the heavy and densely packed book of Romans. And we have found ourselves at Romans chapter 7. Um, and it's kind, of, uh, it's kind of difficult to jump into the book of Romans at this moment in chapter 7, only because there is so much. Uh, so, you know, Romans 1 is the reason why Romans 2 is there. And Romans 1 and 2 is the reason why Paul speaks about Romans 3. And what I'm saying is that it's a very cumulative book that you, to understand it properly, you have to read it from the beginning all the way through. So I hope that you've done that. I hope you've been following along. Um, but uh, here we find ourselves in Romans chapter 7. So just to get a little bit of context, Paul has been speaking about the justification um, that, first of all, that righteousness comes through faith. This is in chapter 3. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So the only way we can become righteous is through faith. <laughs> faith, which results in God's grace. <clears throat> this is the point that he's making in chapter 3. Uh, in chapter 4, he gives an example of Abraham. And he says, do we think that Abraham was justified because of something that he did? No. He was justified because of something that he believed. That justification, righteousness, comes by faith. And so, uh, so then in chapter 5, we have the comparison between, uh, between the first Adam and the second Adam. Uh, Adam from the garden who failed, uh, who brought death to the entire human species. And uh, in that way, I, <laughs> the person that I'm named after is in one way our greatest enemy. Uh, because he is the one who introduced the concept of original sin into the human race. Uh, but Paul compares the first Adam to the second Adam. And uh, in the same way that Adam came and failed the human race, Christ came and succeeded. And then we have chapter 6. Um, are we saying uh, that we should continue in sin? That grace should abound? No, of course not. Uh, if we are dead to sin, we shall not live any longer. And so Paul's making this grand leap that we should be coming out of our sin uh, to become slaves or servants of a living God. So that's where we find ourselves in chapter 7. Uh, so we're here at Romans chapter 7, verse 1. Please follow along with me as we read the word of God. It says, Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. For the woman who has a husband is bound by the, by the law to her husband as long as he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of her husband. So then if, while her husband lives, she marries another man, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she is married another man. Paul's using an example from everyday life, from marriage, 
uh, and saying that it's important for us to remember that the law is it only applies to the to the living right therefore my brethren verse 4 you've uh, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may, that you may be married to another to him who was raised from the dead that we should bear fruit to God what a powerful idea that Paul introduces here that the law is what keeps us bound. Paul, he says, I thank God for the law because without the law, I would not know that I was in my sin. And so in one sense, we have to thank God for God's law, the law that was given by Moses, the law that was delivered to us from Mount Sinai. You know, the Ten Commandments, those, uh, those laws that are so dangerous that we cannot display them in children's classrooms. Uh, things like, Oh, Lord, uh, we can't have children seeing things like do not murder and do not steal. You know, that would be dangerous to them if they had a moral standard that was ever present in their lives. Oh, no, those are too dangerous. The, the law, see, the problem is the law always brings condemnation. He has made this point again and again in Romans. And he said, I thank God for the law because if I didn't know the law, I wouldn't know the depth of my sins. See, people who don't know the law don't understand the depth of their sins. But Paul is making the point here that it has to do with the death of Jesus. So just like in the, the, the example that he gave, the woman who's married to a husband, see, the only way she can be free from that marriage is through the death of her husband. And in the same way, here's, uh, here's what he says, we can be dead to the law. The only way that we can be free from the death of the law is through the death of our Savior, Jesus Christ, so that we can be instead bound and married to him. Verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Paul is explaining how it is that, that the law brings death. This is the process of how it works. It happens because of our sinful passions. It happens because the flesh cries out day and night to, to, uh, to run away from God and to, um, to break the curse, right? and uh, to break the promise that God had given to us. And then, uh, and then he says um, that, that was those, those sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members bearing fruit to death. That sin brings death. The righteous uh, result of sin is death. Separation from all that is good. But here, here comes the good news, ready? Chapter 7, verse 6, uh, it says, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. All right, so this is where it helps us today. This is where you can have victory today. That um, that the Word of God, the salvation that God has won for us on the cross has the effect 
of changing our lives. It has the effect of giving us the ability to break out of the death of our sins so that we no longer have to be bound to that old marriage, that old ball and chain that was holding us down, the sins of our flesh. What, <clears throat> what did, what's the reason why Jesus had to die? So that we could serve in newness of the spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Uh, that's a good place for us to be reminded that today, Monday, July the 20th, 2020, you can live a new life. You don't have to live in the same old ways. You can change, right? We can be new creations in Christ Jesus because the death of Jesus is what sets us free from that old marriage to our bondage, to our sin, to our unbelief, to those things which were clinging to us and dragging us into the pit. So um, uh, we are uh, out of time this morning. Uh, I hope you've enjoyed uh, your brew and I hope you have followed along as we uh, survey the Word of God. Um, make sure that you are following along our Bible reading plan. The re rest of the readings today, uh, not only Second uh, Chronicles, but also uh, we looked today in Romans chapter 7 and the uh, the rest of the readings are Psalm 17 and then Proverbs 19, 22, and 23. I'm praying for everybody, believing God with you this morning that you would lead a life of newness, newness of life. Let's walk in the newness of the Holy Spirit as we go into the Word of God, uh, into, the, into our day. And I want to uh, just encourage you one more time, if this is helpful to you, if it's something that you think would, ha would help somebody else, uh, you never know how God will use these things. So uh, post it, share it, let everybody know. And we're going to be continuing this week as the Lord gives us grace to continue. So God bless you all, and uh, hope you have a great Monday. Bye-bye.